This is FM 100.5, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. Absolutely beautiful day out. Uh, my brother Mike is with me, and uh, we were over having breakfast at Sylvan Park this morning and just absolutely enjoyed it. And you got to see one of your buddies, John Jones, uh, yep. who is in kind of in the same business you are now. You, you bounced all over the place from education was your biggest uh I, I guess asset as far as dealing with the young people and um, trying to help them select whatever career that they wanted to go in. But you have had education, farming, and then uh, I guess um, I'm trying to think maybe real estate. The the, the three main. Um, choices that you would have had yep. during, but besides, besides the horse business. Well, that's kind of farming a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I guess you could call it that. Yeah. I remember when you uh, was two and three years old, you used to run underneath the pigs and the the horses, and Mama never worried about you at all because they seemed to take to you, which is unusual. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, I've heard some tales. I've heard some tales, so. Evidently, I was uh, kind of rambunctious. Yeah, you were. But uh, we always had a brotherly love. We always took care of each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. But, but uh, education was your number one love, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Uh, and I got into it by just simply... Uh, needed a job, uh-huh. and uh, I'd graduated, been out of college a couple of years, and needed a job, a steady job. I was showing horses and uh, actually colts, mm-hmm. and I made a pretty good living at it, uh, but uh, I needed a steady job with insurance and, you know, things of that nature, and uh, I went back to school and took six hours education courses and was lucky enough to get a job and uh, uh, did it 39 years, a little over 39 years, yeah. and uh, uh, saw a lot of changes and uh, uh, met a lot of good people and uh, I was fortunate enough to coach football and basketball and baseball mm-hmm. and uh, uh, have you had one undefeated team I had an undefeated team at College Grove yeah 10 and0 uh, we lost in the playoffs uh, seven to nothing and uh, I had a good season. I had a bunch of, and I, st- I stay in contact with some of those kids mm-hmm. through Facebook. Uh, but uh, it's amazing how you know how all of them have you know uh, pretty much all of them fairly successful. I, I don't know if, if that uh, that football team and the camaraderie and the things that they did mm-hmm. helped shape their lives. I don't know, uh, but I do know one thing. I was, I was thinking about that this morning. Uh, sports whether it's tennis or baseball or football or whatever it is, uh, you, you learn uh, that, you know, you've got, you've got certain things to do and you're going to do them. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, you respect other people. And uh, self-discipline is a big, big deal in, in being, I think, successful yeah. in life. If you don't have self-discipline, you know, you're just going to go all kinds of ways. And that taught me. You know, I learned self-discipline because, you know, the guys were all out partying and whatever, even when I was high school and college, and mm-hmm. and I didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, ath- you know, I was an athlete, and I was going to, 
I was going to do the right thing. And so you learn, you learn to, you know, stay home and study instead of going out and partying. I guess is the thing about it. But uh, I think that self-discipline is a big, big deal that you learn with sports, whatever sports you're in. What about mumbly peg? Uh, well, you know, it's just like, what is it, pickup sticks? Yeah. We learned, we learned, you know, even if we're playing pickup sticks, we wanted to win. Isn't it amazing how good we got to be with a knife as far as throwing it in the ground? (laughs) Marbles. Yeah. You know, the kids today have no idea how we entertained ourselves. You know, you get, you get in a place down and you get your marbles out and you're Mm -hmm. shooting and you're playing for the marbles. I mean, you know, they don't understand you. You had that toy, you shot, and, you know, you got to win the marbles. It wasn't, you know. I remember when you lost all your marbles. Well, I lost all my marbles several years ago. Yeah. Uh, But. uh, uh, Tell me about the horse industry, because as far as I can remember back, uh, the Chevable, the the national championship in Chevable was one of the biggest events. I mean, you would have more people going to that than you would a lot of football games. Oh, yeah. It was full uh, reserve seats and mm-hmm. the box seats. You had waiting lists for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a box uh, my latter years of going, uh, one of our one of our cousins. Mm-hmm. So I, I was able to get that box and use it. And uh, uh, I, that it was just an event you look for forward to every year, the ice cream and the uh, ham sandwiches and, and the camaraderie, the people you saw, saw people that you hadn't seen, uh, and you'd see them yearly. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, it, was, it was a lot, a lot of fun. And I think uh, I probably started going, I'd say, may have been early 50s. Yeah, I was you young. were young. You know. I was young, and we'd go, uh, we'd go on Saturday night. My mm-hmm. uncle Stanley and Aunt Nancy and Stan and I would go, and uh, uh, we'd sit in the bleachers. Back then, they had bleachers set up mm-hmm. around around the ring, and you'd get there maybe one or two o'clock in the afternoon, and you'd put your stuff down, and you sat there till the show started. And that's that's how hard it was to get a seat. And then, of course, then they built onto it and started building boxes, and uh, and it grew and it grew and it grew until the government decided that uh, it needed to go away. I guess, of course, they're still having to show it's nothing like uh, it was mm-hmm. uh, in its heyday. Um, and it got to where, uh, and I loved it. I mean, I, it was you know my thing. But in the latter years, when you know, had two or three horses in the championship, it just it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same to me. And, uh, but how, we how were they able to get that gate? And, and I know what the government says, mm-hmm. all the things that uh, kind of chafe the uh, horse in certain areas and things like that. Well, being around a training stable, of course, now I managed stallions. Mm-hmm. I was in the breeding part of it. Uh, but you know, on when I had spare time, I went into the training facilities and helped out. Most of the time, I was too busy to be in a training facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, oil of mustard was a common thing to sore the horses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be done right, and it could be done wrong. The people who did it wrong are the ones that ruined the industry, in my opinion. Now, Where would opinion. it be applied? Uh, it could be applied in several different places. Yeah. Uh, You'd put it on in the back of the uh, pastern, uh, uh, right at the hoof, where the back part of the hoof. You'd put a drop, one drop on each side, maybe one in the middle, and sometimes they'd put a drop on each side of the front. Mm-hmm. Of course, they had chains, and that uh, soared the horse. It was a, uh, uh, I guess you would more say it was a tingling feeling that make him exaggerate his gait. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I've also seen it done with uh, what they call DMSO and, and just an antiseptic. And it didn't hurt the horse. In my opinion, it didn't hurt him at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but DMSO is something that drives uh, medicine into the into the skin, drives it in. Yeah. And uh, uh, just an antiseptic like Allstock, which is used to put on cuts and things, you could put that on and put the DMSO over and you get the same gait. Uh, but uh, the horses... The horses that were there 
actually were better off, in my opinion, even though they did have that every once in a while. You didn't sew a horse the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just before showtime. And he might he might be uncomfortable in his chains mm-hmm. for, you know, a day just when he's showing. But then the rest of it, you know, they wrapped their feet. They kept them clean. They, they bathed the horse. If they rode him, he was at a bath every day that he was rode. He got, um, in some cases, three fair meals a day, always had hay. Now that poor horse that was pampered so much now is out in the field looking for something to eat. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much. When I grew up and got older, the horse business, uh, horses had brought good dollars. They, they sold well. When they killed, not really killed, but when they uh crippled the walking horse business that's when you started seeing horses that were being mistreated Mm -hmm. uh starved to death i don't know which is better to starve to death or be sore once a week you know i I don't know but uh i was around it and the trainers that i was with i never saw them uh hurt a horse what i say hurt a horse Mm -hmm. they were very particular with those horses um they kept them well they you know they had fly spray on them they were wormed they were fed they were washed. They were exercised maybe 15, 20 minutes a day, maybe, mm-hmm. if they were going to be shown. Some of them were ridden every other day, but they still were in a stall. The stall was clean and neat because you had to have an appearance, you know. The people come in and look at their horses. They don't want to see it in dirt. And they had blankets on them in the winter. The horses were very well treated. They were, uh, there was a big investment in those horses Huge, back I mean, then. Yeah, I mean, you know, sixty, seventy thousand dollar horses, most of them, and uh, uh, and like I said, you know, they were well taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, in my opinion, uh, after it was all said and done, I think it could have been done a little bit better, and the horse wouldn't have suffered. I, you know, uh, I think that's who suffered is the horse. The horse is the one that suffered. It's it's not. Is that more of an abnormal gait, or is that a normal gait for a walking horse? Uh, a single foot is a normal gait. Yeah. They pace, and then if, if you shoe them up front a little heavier, then they'll go to what you call a single foot, mm-hmm. which is, in my opinion, that's what the walking horse does. Mm-hmm. And uh, single foot, that's when one foot's down. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, you can hear a horse. I can tell you whether the horse is walking or not just by the noise he makes mm-hmm. on pavement or if it's, you know if it's if you hear him you know what he's doing. Uh, I remember when they started with the exaggerated gait. Uh, of course, me going in the 50s and 60s, it changed dramatically the way the horses move dramatically. Mm-hmm. Now you know I saw the first time that the horses actually came out and they're raising their front feet up over up over the rail mm-hmm. i've heard that they did it with rubber bands i've heard i've heard all kinds of things uh, but uh, used to they wore them uh, they had a uh, cup on their uh, front foot mm-hmm. and uh, they uh, uh, that would flap it make him raise his foot a little bit higher uh, the walkers never did reach the the height that the thoroughbreds did like uh, you had the the triple crown and things like that that was just known throughout the world uh, and, and a lot a lot of money in thoroughbreds. You you uh, have owned thoroughbreds and and you have owned walkers too. Um, thoroughbreds are a whole different now. Me owning them, I was with somebody who yeah. owned them. Uh, Roy Zapardo, who is one of my better friends, he yeah. lives in Metairie, which is outside of New Orleans. Yeah, and uh, we uh, we we've developed a close relationship with the walking horses. Mm-hmm. Then it became the thoroughbreds, mm-hmm. and uh, the thoroughbred. It's like Roy said, uh, judging and crossing a line are two different things. Yeah, the walking horse is judged, and at the celebration it was three judges or four or whatever, you know, at that time, uh, and at the shows it's one judge and it's his personal opinion of how he. Uh, perceives how that horse should move. And people would either leave happy or very unhappy yes, with yes. a judge. And I'm one of them. I've left mighty unhappy with some judges. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, and there's always the possibility. Now, you know, uh, if a walking horse won, he was the celebration, and he was a stud. He was worth several thousand dollars, several hundred thousand. 
Yeah. Because the stud fees got just up. Just like winning the triple crown. Yeah, the stud fees got up to, you know, when I first started, the stud fees, I remember uh, breeding to uh, uh, Sons Delight. I thought it was two or $300. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end of his career, he was bringing 750 Now I think they're $1,000, of stud fees. Uh, Walking so, horses? Yes. Steel? Yes. Uh Money people are still in the business. Who got run out of the walking horse business were the middle people, the people who made it operate, mm-hmm. people like me. You know, I might have nine or ten mares, which I did, and I was paying anywhere from three to $500 stud fees and selling coats anywhere from 1500 to 10000 mm-hmm. It just depends how good the coat was. But we kept the business going. Then when all of this happened, we couldn't afford the business it couldn't be you know we just couldn't afford it mm-hmm. and uh, we most of the middlemen the middlemen were run out of it now the, the people with money are still in it yeah and uh, and their horses are still selling you know the really really good horses what happened to that mediocre horse that the little boys and girls showed and the wives showed they've pretty much been knocked out of the business those mm-hmm. mediocre horses now they got to be really really good and uh uh, some of them still have a pretty good gait. I don't know how they're doing it, but they have a pretty good gait. So it's it's just a different world now. The thoroughbred business is a whole different ball game, and uh, unless you've got a whole lot of money and you're breeding to one of your top stallions, uh, it's just like anything else. You know, you you got to have the good mares and you got to have the good uh, be able to go to good stallions. And they're predominantly in Kentucky. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, stud fees there can be anywhere between fifty and $100,000. Well, now, the average guy really can't pick up on what makes a walking horse so great. So uh, I, I, I've sat there, and I've been around horses uh, not as much as you, but I've been around horses ever since I was four or five years old. I mean, I used to ride a horse on our when we lived over there off of woodbury highway um at cripple creek and uh daddy would let me ride the horse to go up and get the cows down yeah. back in those days yeah but i cannot differentiate between a really great horse walking horse than the average walking horse it, it's just yes. I, I don't know what separates them well there are several things that you look at, uh, and it's amazing. I went to a clinic one one year with Roy in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and Dr. D. Witt Owens was one of the major veterinarians at Harlandale Farm. I, I used to run into him all the time, mm-hmm. and he used to do work for me, palpating, checking mares to see if they're ready to breed, whether they're in fold or whatever. And uh, all of a sudden, Dr. Uh, uh, Owens left. And he went to Kentucky with thoroughbreds. And uh, I was at the clinic, and, of course, Roy has been in the thoroughbred business for all his life, Mm -hmm. his family. And uh, we're sitting there, and the chief spokesman comes out that's speaking at the uh, seminar. And uh, he comes in and looks over and says, hey, Mike. And it was Dr. Owen. Hmm. And he came over and talked to me. And, you know, we had a good conversation and just a super nice guy. And uh, he went through his uh, spill, and then we went to a a lot and picked out horses Mm -hmm. that we thought should go into the sale. Mm -hmm. And Roy picked his, and I picked mine, and we all turned in. Well, I did better than Roy. Oh, wow. And it was amazing. Well, my experience with walking horses help me judge the thoroughbred. They're made almost identical except in the hind legs, a little bit in the neck. But in a walking horse, you want to see his withers way back behind his front legs. Mm -hmm. In a thoroughbred, you want to see his withers way back behind his front legs. And why? He can reach out. He's got more movement up front. And in a walking horse, you want a crooked hind leg. Well, in a thoroughbred, you don't want it so crooked. And... Uh, a walking horse, you want his neck up high. Well, a thoroughbred, you want him to hold it down because of the wind, yeah. uh, the resistance. So, you know, using what I knew about walking horses and what I knew about 
nothing about thoroughbreds. I used those two things, and it came out. And Dr. Owens came up to me after the seminar and asked me if I would help him pick out the colts for Keeneland mm -hmm. the next year. Oh, you're talking about elated. And I thought, man, that would be the greatest thing that ever happened, to come down here and help him pick out colts for Keeneland. He died that winter. Oh. Uh, he had a, had a brain tumor. But How old was he? He was probably at the time, I, I'd guess 62, maybe mm -hmm. 63. Yeah. Uh, still young enough to do, but he was he was a really good veterinarian. Or, and better than that, he was a good person. He was a really good person. You know, there's usually only one horse in a lifetime that really stands out. I don't care if it's thoroughbreds and walking horses. The the greatest horse, in my opinion, that God made was Secretariat. Ever. There, there ever. was never anything close to him. Everybody in the thoroughbred business, if you ask the top horse, it's Secretariat. Yeah. And nobody can figure out why he wasn't a great breeding horse. Now, I think... Maybe some of his mares were pretty good, yeah. but he never really produced that. What everybody thought was going to be that top, top echelon horse. He mm. just he he didn't prove out as as a breeder. But now, as far as a racehorse and what he did, it'll never be matched. I mean, I don't care uh, how many years it's going to be. I don't. There's no way to match what he did. Broke all records and nobody's come close to him. And he won't come close to him. No. I mean, well, was it uh, not the Belmont, the Preakness? Belmont was his Belmont. biggest one. When he won that. About 30-something links. Send cold chills down you. Yeah. Normal horse would have fell over dead. A normal horse fell over. But now, from what I understand, when they, you know, they said his heart was like twice the size. Yeah, of over twice yeah. the size. But, uh, you know, he was big. And uh, that's been one of, one of the problems that I've thought th thoroughbred people have always had. They like the big, old, strong horses. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the distance racers, uh, even in humans, who usually win? It's that little guy. You yeah. know, he doesn't have near as much weight to carry. You know, it's not near as hard on him. Uh, and, you know, I remember Carryback. If you remember Carryback, yeah. he was a little bitty horse. Yeah. And, you know, he was great. Uh, but uh, I think I think sometimes we go with with uh, I've seen it in athletes. I've seen some really when I played football, some guys come in. I thought, oh my goodness, but they were no different from that little skinny guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we were talking about Larry Whaley today. Larry, little bitty fella. You know, and he's playing defensive end on one of you know Coach Murphy's better football teams at MTSU. Yeah. And but he was tough, and he didn't quit. And so it's the same thing with horses. You know, that little horse is pretty tough. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Mike Jones. Is a premier senior living facility in Murfreesboro. Our residents say the chefs at Adams Place run the area's best restaurant. Call us at Adams Place and arrange a tour today. Adams Place Residential Living Director Terry Deal. Offering independent living, assisted living, memory care, health care center, and on-site rehabilitation. Adams Place is at 1927 Memorial Boulevard. At Heritage South Community Credit Union, we help when others won't. It's what our members tell us we do every day. Whether it's a loan for a car you need to get to work or saving for the future, let us see if we can help. If you live, work, worship, or attend school in Rutherford, Bedford, or Marshall Counties, you can be a member of Heritage South. Visit our website, HeritageSouth.org, to learn more. Insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Bud's Tire Pros makes buying tires simpler, so you can get back to when being on the move was carefree. For a limited time, get up to a $120 reward card after submission when you bundle at least two new qualifying Michelin or BF Goodrich passenger or light truck tires, as well as select Michelin motorcycle, scooter, and bicycle tires. Or get a $120 reward card per purchase of four new Michelin Cross Climate 2 tires. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. Find out more at BudsTireProsTN.com. See store for complete details. Offers valid from November 18th, 2020 through December 9th, 2020. Void where prohibited. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. 
Governor Bill Lee calling a special legislative session early next year. It'll address educational challenges at state schools due to the pandemic. The five main talking points will be learning, funding, accountability, literacy, and teacher pay. Preliminary reports estimate a 50% decrease in proficiency rates in third-grade reading and projected 65% decrease in math proficiency. Lee noted on Tuesday that the legislature will meet at the Capitol on January 19th. Local and federal law enforcement raising concerns over the vulnerability of the communication infrastructure in the state after the Christmas Day bombing downtown. The explosion happened inside the bomber's RV parked at the AT&T transmission hub on 2nd Avenue. That incident caused severe damage to that hub, knocking out service to customers, including 911 dispatch, across multiple states. One expert described that Nashville hub as a Grand Central Station of sorts, providing connectivity to a vast service area. Tennessee Department of Health reporting nearly 4,800 new cases of COVID-19 as of Tuesday's update from Nashville. As a date, the volunteer state has seen 572,589 total cases of coronavirus since the onset of the pandemic back in March. And Petula Clark is praising Nashville residents and expressing her love for the city in a posting on social media yesterday. She said she was shocked to learn of the explosion and that Anthony Warner played her 1964 international hit Downtown moments before his RV exploded. Clark wondered why a song she always thought was uplifting was played before a tragic event and ended her post by saying she loves Nashville and its people. Follow us on Twitter at WGNS Radio. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock, when it breaks, and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. Why move into a new house and, and leave a home that you already have memories with? Farrah Construction had already done the bathroom. Then we decided to move a wall or two and redo the playroom. If you can dream it, we can turn it into reality. And they did. The best investment in enjoyment that we ever made. We're family here at Farrah Construction. We care about you. This is Ron Hall with Farrah Construction. Call 615-893-6120. Where is the best barbecue in town? In 1920, East Main, the best barbecue for miles around. It's in 1920, East Main. You can buy it by the pound sandwich platter or plate. No matter what you choose, it will taste great. You can come with a friend by yourself or with a date. Just lick the pig barbecue. Barbecue pork, beef or chicken, Brunswick stew, great sides, lunch specials, down home atmosphere, and they cater. Slick pig barbecue. It's the best. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, Analexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. Mainly cloudy this afternoon, high in the mid-60s. Tonight, increasing clouds. Chance of seeing some rain developing, low near 45. Chance of rain on Thursday. I'm meteorologist Laura Lockwood on News Radio WGNS. Right now, 55. Premier Six Theater is open. They're excited to see you again and will be showing some classic movies you'll be sure to enjoy. Check MurfreesboroMovies.com for showtimes. For Premier Six Theater, they're now open. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And welcome back with Mike Jones. Now, we've gone through the thoroughbreds, uh, the greatest horse, of course. There's no question. I mean, nobody can say that any, any horse ever came close to Secretariat. But the you were, you were had a hands-on in, yep. in the walking horses. Yes. Was there any particular uh, horse or horses that stood out to you, maybe not on the same level uh, in the competition uh, like Secretariat was, but uh, um, I know breeding the walkers was big money, like yes. we mentioned earlier, but the horse that maybe stood out more than any other when it came to uh, passing it on uh, down the line? Most people would probably tell you Son's Delight and Ebony Masterpiece. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, to begin with, it was Midnight Sun and Merry Go Boy. Mm-hmm. They were the two. They were the two feature horses yeah. in the early days. Midnight Sun and Merry Go Boy. Midnight Sun stood at Harlandale Farm, and uh, Ebony. I mean, uh, Merry Go Boy stood at uh, Beaches mm-hmm. in Lewisburg, uh, or Beach Grove. Uh, they were the two found major foundation horses, mm-hmm. uh, as far as show horses go. Then uh, Sons Delight showed up in Ebony Masterpiece, and they pretty much took the forefront mm-hmm. of uh, horses that were, you know, putting colts in the show ring. And uh, I don't know. I showed both of those colts, and I was around the barns, and uh, I don't know if you could pick one was more outstanding than the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sons Delight horses were maybe more likely to do some type of walk, uh, but uh, Masterpiece produces produced some great horses. Both of them produced great horses. Then you had then you had the stallions that produced good broodmares. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, one of those was Spirit of Midnight. Uh, he was noted for broodmares, not not uh, stud horses. Mm-hmm. He I think his stud horses may have been a little mean, a little aggressive. Uh, but, you know, now I can't even tell you. I've been away from it so long that, uh, you know, what the top horses are mm-hmm. uh, b- because I've been away from it so long. But, uh, and you keep getting that, you know, there are these horses, the, the stallions, that uh, uh, for some reason they pass it on and pass it on well and some don't. Yeah. It's just, just like Thoroughbred, you know. We, we talked about uh, Secretariat. He just didn't pass it along. Yeah. And it's all in the DNA. And, uh, you know, just like anything else, you know, you you never know. You just never know. But those are the horses, you know, when I was in the business, it really stood out. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were the horses. And, you know, the jockeys get a lot of credit for being able to manage a horse on the track. Uh, I Same guess time. Sam Pascal is the one that I remember as far as the riders yeah. are concerned in the walking horse. Sam business. and Donald were both excellent riders. Sam and Donald Pascal both were excellent riders. Uh, we had a young guy uh, that's uh, from here, uh, David Mason, rode Superstock. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, David could ride. Now, I mean, David had hands. I, we call them, you got hands. Yeah. If you're going to ride a walking horse, you got to have hands. And you got to have a feel for it. If you've ever ridden a walking horse and you know when he's in gear, gear you know it. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're riding one, when he hits his gear, you know it. It's just something about it, and it's just as smooth as silk. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, I can't I can't explain it, but I've I've ridden horses and and uh, I've ridden world world grand champions. I used to ride one almost every day, mm-hmm. and uh, when I was stallion manager, and I knew when he hit his gate, and when he wasn't, I knew it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't have the hands like David Mason and or Sam Pascal or or Donald Pascal. There's just some people have a gift. Now there was a Probably the most popular show during the time that I remember, uh, Arthur Godfrey uh, had the, the the number one show on television, as right. you can remember, years ago. And he had Sam Pascal on, and I, Sam that rode. Been, that would have been setting sun. I, you know, I had forgotten about that. Uh, Sam rode three world champions. Now, yeah. Donald rode more. Uh, but Sam rode three in his day, and it was setting sun. Uh, Sun's Delight and Ebony Masterpiece. So now, Setting Sun never was what we call a great breeding horse. Mm-hmm. But Sun's Delight and Ebony Masterpiece were. So it just goes to show you. But uh, uh, he rode three of them. I remember I was in the I was at the show when Setting Sun won it. He rode number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I was so disappointed. The uh, year before, he was favored to win it, and he didn't win it. So, I bet there were a lot of booze oh, out yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Man. You know, uh, when you go to a show or once walking horse, you had a favorite. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't win it, you were unhappy because you just knew. And like I said, it's a judgment call, and you're judging the horses. So uh, a lot of people left unhappy. And uh, I've seen it where it got a little rowdy at the end of the uh, show, where there was a little display of anger. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it all... Uh, it was it was a good time. It was a good time. Some of the judges had kind of a reputation 
because I remember I was sitting in Aunt Nancy's uh, box uh, where everybody sat, Daddy and Uncle Harry, Sims, and all, all the ones that just absolutely, they, they couldn't wait for the show to start. Right. Right. And uh, I remember them talking about they were unhappy with the judge that had been selected for that. And, you you know, we all get mad when, we, say if we're watching a football game or a basketball game, and there's a certain referee out there, and you know something is going to happen. Not that the guy's dishonest or anything. Maybe he doesn't see things the way everybody else does. Well, there's always the thought that somebody got bought out. You know, because yeah. it's big business, and you won the celebration. But you, that doesn't happen, or uh, maybe it could happen. I'm sure it did happen at times. I'm, yeah. I'm positive it happened at times, but not every time. And not everybody was a crook. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, I've gone to, when I was uh, uh, a baseball coach and when I played baseball, there were some umpires, when I, especially when I played, when I looked back behind me, I was glad to see. Mm-hmm. And there were some umpires I was not happy to see. And because they they call different balls and strikes, and it's the same thing in a basketball game. Some some officials let you play. Yeah. Some officials don't let you play, and you know it's it's uh, and a lot of times that de- determines, I guess, maybe how the game turns out. Because I mean, uh, watching the uh, Titans play the other night, there was a bad call. That when he's running down the sidelines. Well, no, there was another one before then that I think changed the complexion of the game completely. The Titans had them um, three and out. Mm-hmm. And the official called one of the Titans for being He hit the guy in the face. No, he called him for being offside. This is the first one. He called okay. him for being offside. Right. They Evidently, sh- there were a lot they, of them in that they, game. They showed it back, yeah. and he wasn't. I mean, yeah. they said clearly he wasn't. And then there was, you know, the accidentally raking and hitting him in the face, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think should have been called because, I mean, accidental. Yeah. A, now, if you grab somebody by the face mask and, and tackle them, that's bad business. I've been tackled that way many times, and it don't feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's for the protection of the player. But but when you rake across and you're raking his arm, you're not trying to tackle him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and, uh, you know, of course, now they're using this thing with the defensor. Defender can't he can't hit you in the face pass. Yeah. That's that's you know in the face, so that that's a foul. So uh, almost like they want to play touch football yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So you know it's it's all how you perceive it, I guess. You know, you know, uh, and you know the walking horse business had its ups and it had its downs and it's still there, but not for people like me. The Titan coach really should have asked for a replay. On the one when he was stepped, because it was obvious that he stepped out of bounds. See, that is the fault of not the head coach. That's the fault of the people who are watching it on the monitor. Mm -hmm. Those people are supposed to be catching those things. That's, you know, you can't call it on on him. It's got to be the people watching the monitor. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who make the call and the replays, you know, like a fumble. Yeah. Uh, You know, you can't tell from the sidelines. And he couldn't tell where he was. You know, it was on the opposite side. Mm-hmm. Now, if it had been on their side, they would have seen it, but it was on the opposite side. It was snowing. You couldn't see the line clearly. Uh, but he clearly stepped out of bounds. Yeah. And ever who's following the play should have seen that. Yeah, the line. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it, it was uh, – there were several things in that game that changed the complexity of the game. I'm not saying that the Titans would have won. No. Uh, I don't think they played well, but there were things that happened in that game that would they couldn't get there for some reason. No rhythm. And uh, if you've ever played when it's really, really cold or when it's raining, uh, it's a different ball game. Everything's different. And uh, it hurts. I mean, when it's real cold, it hurts sometimes when you get hit because you're, you know, uh, your your body's fighting the cold already. And, and it's different. You know, they can say what they want to. The Titans got beat, but I don't think that'll happen on a, on a warm day and a good field. They might still get beat, but not like they got beat. Officials go through a tremendous amount of training, both on the pro level. You're talking about the SEC. Uh, you know Russ Pulley. My, mm-hmm. my buddy has been – we've been friends for a long time. And he um, – 
told me what they go through as far as what they're looking at. And he said they don't want to take over the ball game. They are only supposed to call uh, a foul or a penalty if you know 100% sure that it's happened. But, 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 but you know... It's going to there are some re- officials that will get away from that. Quick whistle. Yeah. Anticipation. Yeah. Those are the ones that are the most frustrating. Quick whistle. And they know they made a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, they hit that whistle, and they knew they shouldn't have done it. But then they're going to stand up to you and say, you know, well, I, that's what happened. Because you got to. But being an official this day and time, I remember when I became principal, one of the first ball games I went to, and I've got – fan over there who's using every kind of word that is imaginable Mm -hmm. and screaming it out in front of kids and you know right behind our bench and I went over there and corrected him and he let me know what he thought of him but I I let him know back and I walked away and he had some pretty harsh words but then his wife quietened him down but the way that we look at officials now and the way they're treated Mm -hmm. Uh, it's very difficult to get officials now. It's very difficult to get officials. Uh, it is just like teaching. Yeah. You know, no respect. Uh, that guy's out there calling a game. He may not be doing the be- best in the world, but he's calling a game. And there. Uh, and so are a million other people yeah. watching it on camera. Yeah. With a better eye, yeah, eye of what's yes, going that, on. That's one thing that I think has hurt. Mm-hmm. And, but it's amazing. I mean, when you watch football and basketball, how many of these officials are so on the ball mm-hmm. and make such good calls? But then you've got some officials that, uh, how could you miss that? And, uh, you know, but qualified, uh, good qualified. I've seen this in high school. Officials are hard to get. Yeah. Good, hard. I mean, good because the young folks don't want, they, they, they're not going to take that. They're not going to take the abuse. That, that they get while they're on the court. And they're not, you know, our young kids are not built for uh, being being wrong or whatever. You know, they, they just, uh, uh, you're just not going to see it like you used to. And they're begging for officials. And uh, Well, everybody is controlled by the money. Sure. And television is the money. And I've always said if the one ruination of sports, when it's going to come one of these days, will be television. Because they, they, the, the, they, they make all of the calls. When yeah. you're going to play, what time you're going to play, all of that. So, you know, and all the – but, I mean, you look at Facebook. I said I swore I'd never get – when I was principal, I said I'll never get a Facebook account. But it came to the point I had to get one to see what was going on. And, uh, but that's terrible. I mean, you, you're talking about players today are making over $100 million out there playing a sport. And right now, during the COVID virus, there's nobody in the stands. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it kind of relates to me a, a little bit as far as, when say, when you were playing at MTSU, the stands were full. Everybody in the community turned out. They wanted to watch the game. Of mm-hmm. course, they didn't have television back in, in those particular days. But hadn't you rather hear all of the cheers and all the enthusiasm going mm-hmm. on in in that particular stadium than know that there's a million other people watching you on television? It, it, it just gives you that uh uh, uh, the players themselves say it's weird. I mean, yeah. it's really weird. Been, I don't know what it would have been like. I mean, like you said, I was lucky enough in the heyday to play for Coach Murphy. and, and the, He was great. And the stands were always full. And I mean, full. Mm-hmm. Now they're not because we've got a bigger stadium, much larger stadium, and, you know, uh, and now it's not. And, and but, even the students don't now, turn out. But, you know, what has actually happened is like you're saying – which would you rather do? Watch it on TV at home and eat your own popcorn, mm-hmm. drink your own drink, and be warm mm-hmm. and see instant replays, you know? Now, uh, that's the way to watch a football game. I'm, I'm sorry, but that's the way to watch, you know, your own home, you know, but at my age. At every sport. Yeah, but now I love 
to be at, you know, I go to all the MTSU games. I love to be in the stands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the weather anymore, so half the game I'm inside watching it on TV, and which I shouldn't be, but, I mean, you know, I get cold out there. I'm going to go inside and watch it on the TV. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's ruined our sports more than anything is the fact that there are multiple football games every Saturday and every Sunday on TV. Now it's Mondays. And now we even get them on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Thursday. Yeah. And uh, uh, you can watch it in the comfort of your own home. But, you know, why am I going to pay $65, $70 for a ticket when I can watch it free on TV? It's not free. They're paying Mm -hmm. for the TV. You don't realize it, but you are. But uh, that's what's happened, you know, as far as people in stands. And even, you know, gosh, when we were growing up, you went to Kittrell. You went to Rockvale. You went to Las Casas. Uh, they were full on basketball nights. Yeah. Rarely are you going to see a gym full in this county. You might see it full in Eagleville, but where else are you going to see the gym? Is gym? Rarely are you going to see that yeah. because people just don't go anymore, and, and I don't know if it's the community. I don't know what it is, but it's you know they just don't go, and a lot of kids don't go. You well, know. you and I can remember my fondest memories are being with Daddy and Mama when we would go. This is when you were still little. little and we would go to Sufferdale. Uh, I remember still when the Yankees came in and played a, a, a game at Sufferdale and Mickey Mantle and Yogi Bear and Hank Bauer and all that bunch were there. And... That's one of my great memories. I remember when Daddy took me to see a Tennessee game at Vanderbilt back when Johnny Majors played. Hmm. That's when he first started. And I, I, it, I, I, I would hate to, to grow up and not have those memories. I, I remember I took Daddy and Mom and Jackie to St. Louis to see see the Cardinals play, and that was Daddy's favorite team. He would always cheer for the Cardinals, and uh, it was to see his face and Mama's face, especially Daddy's, because he was such a big fan, and he would just turn around, and we would be the only ones there. We'd be the first ones there, and he would just turn around and look, and it was just... Like uh, like he was in heaven. I oh, mean, yeah. he he was in that. And he got to beat Stan Musial. Yeah, he did. You know how many people have met Stan Musial in their lifetime? Not many. Yeah. And uh, but he, you know, he that was just a great thing for him to, to go see and do. Yeah. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, he, they went to see the Houston Astros. Yeah. Uh, Uncle Brady's mm-hmm. son-in-law was in management with the Houston Astros. And yeah. they they went and they got to go see the Astros play. And that was a big deal for him. Yeah. You know, of course, you know. We saw Nolan Ryan pitch there. Is that right? Yes. Well, did you go? I didn't go with them. See, uh, Jackie's brother lived in Houston. Oh. And we went there and uh, we got tickets to go. And uh, it was just unbelievable. Well, you know, it's amazing. I, I was just sitting here... We were talking about him, them going to Houston. Uh, I never, that I can remember, went on a vacation mm-hmm. when I was growing up. Never. And the reason I didn't go because I was playing baseball. Mm-hmm. And they always went in the summer, so wherever they went, I stayed at home and played baseball. So I never went on a vacation. I didn't know what it was like. And, you know, and for years, I just did not like Florida. I, you know, I'd go to Florida, and I'd say, what am I doing here? But now we went. Yeah, uh, you were sick. Yeah, the last couple of times that we Nothing went Nothing like Florida, the sand and sun. Well, I enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, like I told him, I said, I actually read four books the last time I was there out on the out on the beach. And I hadn't read a book in years. But, uh, and I enjoyed was it. Was that Tony and the and Pony and all that stuff? I don't know. Something yeah. about uh, horses. It had to be about horses. <laughs> uh, that's about, about all I can read. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, and I'd go back now. But, I mean, other, the other times I went, I just didn't enjoy it. Hmm. But uh, uh, we had a great time, you know. Last you love New time. Orleans, though. Yeah, I'm a New Orleans cat. Uh, I don't 
I, you know, Bourbon Street's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, going down, going into Pat O'Brien's, I enjoy doing that. But now walking Bourbon Street's, I mean, I don't like that. But but New Orleans has got so many other different things, you know. Going to the Sugar Bowl is special, though. Yeah, well, the Sugar Bowl, I've been there a few times. But mm-hmm. uh, the World War II exhibit. Yeah. Now, uh, every, every child in America needs to go through some type of, a building that has all of that memorabilia and mm-hmm. all of the pictures and all the stuff from World War II because I was absolutely fascinated and I'm not a uh, buff at all, mm-hmm. but uh, I was absolutely fascinated at the number of heroes uh, in on display and the things that they did during World War II and the actual handwriting of Eisenhower, yeah. uh, D-Day, you know, what he wrote down and all of that. Those things are, you know... Uh, Kids don't realize uh, we're so far away from Vietnam and World War II that we don't really realize the things that were uh, done in that particular time and the sacrifices Mm -hmm. young men make. Now, we're not just talking about 30 and 4. We're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, you know, who made sacrifices and lost their lives. And you and I both know of more than one or two uh, friends that went to Vietnam and never came back. Yeah, well, you have a number of them. Yeah, and and I don't forget that. I mean, mm. I'm sorry, but I don't forget that. And it, it's amazing that our young kids, you know, like I say, we've been so far away. They don't really realize how this country's built. If they did, when when they played the uh, the flag, you know, and you don't stand up for for our flag, something's wrong. Something's yeah. wrong. We've lost that, uh, and I don't know what it is. I, we just lost that uh, respect for for our soldiers and our country. You know, we're here for a reason. It's because they built it for us, and they protected us. And, you know, we wouldn't be here talking today if it hadn't been for them. Well, my, uh, our dad uh, drove a Greyhound bus, yeah. and I remember when the, the soldiers were here when I was very, very young, and I would ride the bus with him, and a lot of times only GIs would be on the bus except for me as far as passengers. And I still remember them passing me from one end to the other. Uh, They had something to take their mind off of what was coming. Uh, And I don't know why, but it stays in my mind, I wonder, how many of those came back oh, yeah. uh, from uh, either the the uh, European uh, con, uh, uh, war zones or, or gone into the South Pacific? You just it it, it still bothers me of that uh, number of lives that were oh, lost yeah, that oh, during yeah. that time. Uh, we lost fifty eight thousand in Vietnam. Yep. Yeah. Uh, did he take them to Tullahoma? Is that where he transported them to? Uh, he was going east I'm at the time. Sure, I think sure it was because he dropped me off at uh, Mama Jones and Papa Jones's at the time. I'm pretty sure at that he, I'm pretty sure he was taking them to Tullahoma. Uh, but I mean, and it's amazing that <coughs> uh, some of the uncles that we had were on the beach that day. Uh, Uncle Uncle Hucky. Uncle Hucky parachuted. Yeah. And he was uh, with the hundred and first uh, airborne. John Everett and uh Pat yeah, Patterson. Uh oh, I'm trying to think the other one. They were on the beach. Yeah. And when you watch, I mean I never realized till I saw that saving Private Ryan what it I was. I can't like. even watch that. When I watched that I thought, Oh, I cried. Mm-hmm. To know that you're fixing to die, yeah. probably, and you got enough nerve to get out of a boat and go in cold water, and the possibility of you drowning is probably 50% yeah. because of all this stuff you got on you. If you got to the beach, you're probably going to get shot. And, and just Well, knowing. some of the ships that uh, Bill Allen was on one of the ships that was sunk yeah. right there. And so... What are you thinking? I mean, yeah. that's the thing about it. And and uh, to not respect those people? Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Because I, I still can't. Uh, that sticks in my mind. And I remember uh, telling one of my uncles about it. 
and how how, how shocking it was. And then he started in. He was at uh, on an island. Mm-hmm. That was Uncle Bob. Yeah. He was on an island, and uh, right across from Japanese, and mm-hmm. they could see him. So I, you know, and he he told me some some things that I won't repeat because that was, that was his business. But it was just amazing that they keep all those things. Uh, yeah, you never forget those. No, and you know, and I've always said that. that uh, Military people and military people sometimes come back and get in trouble. They'll mm-hmm. shoot or kill somebody. And you think you sent this 18, 19-year-old kid off to boot camp. Mm-hmm. And when I went, when I was, wasn't at Quantico very long, but I learned real quick. First thing they do is they teach you to kill. And all your life, from the time you're born, you're told you don't kill anything. But when you get there, that's the first thing they teach you. And and you learn that discipline, that self-discipline, and it's it's a little weird, you know. And then when you go into combat and you come back, and then you know you've done it, you know. So many of my friends had trouble coming back from Vietnam because, I mean, you know, of that effect. And how do you get over it? Some didn't, and some still hadn't. Yeah. And so you got. I respect those people. I respect them because they, you know, they were over there for us not not for themselves they were there for us can you imagine some of these i call them anti-americans out protesting uh uh you know a lot of them are against what we've done in the past and and i i think about uh these people that went on these bombing missions into germany right and uh dr howard who is out here at adam's place and uh he he's basically one of my heroes I, I love the 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 pilots that flew in and and would back up our soldiers who would be on the ground and things like that and dr howard flew a, a, quite a few missions and basically they were suicide missions mm-hmm. there was a good chance that they were not going to be making it back and you think about put yourself in 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 their positions at some, the time you got to have some nerve and Think about this. When they flew those bombs over, they didn't know where they were going to land. I mean, they were yeah. They were trying. A lot of times they get over into China. Yeah, they were trying to hit that spot, but, yeah. you know, and you're getting low enough to hit that spot, you're probably not going to come back out of it. Yeah. And what they've got today, they can. They tell me that they can take a bomb and guide it and hit a doorknob. Mm-hmm. They, they're, that, they're that good. So, yeah. you know. We've become, you know, we've become so sophisticated. I just wonder just what kind of weapons we really have, because we're we're very sophisticated. We could we could destroy the whole world yes, with what and we've that's got. The, that's the problem. But the, the United States is one of the few countries in the world that worries about the civilians, and uh, you, you think of uh, of so many of our uh, soldiers. Uh, no matter where you're in the Marines or or uh, uh, on the ground through the Army or, or those that are flying through the air, uh, you, you think about how many of them have been lost because they were worried about killing innocent civilians. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, it, uh, in a war, it, it's always government against government pretty much. Yeah. I mean the ones that call the shots and uh it's amazing to me that uh, we get less respect a lot of times than almost any other country even though that we're reaching out to everybody people don't seem to understand this country i've always said the person that you help the most will end up stabbing you in the back the person that you helped the most will end up having, and all these countries that we've helped, a lot of them have stabbed us in the back. Yeah. Uh, we uh, we try to do the right thing. I mean, and, and you know, like you were telling, the human life. I mean, who's going to put a bomb in a in a child's hands, or who's going to strap bombs around a woman? Mm-hmm. And you know, it it happens all the time in other countries. They they do that. And human life doesn't mean, for some reason, as much to them as it does to us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, killing civilians, you know, we had that happen in Vietnam. You know, some of our soldiers killed civilians. And, 
and some of the soldiers, and I know two of them. But a lot of times you didn't know them from. You, that's, the, that's the problem. You didn't know the, the, the and, service and, people, and you and you probably did it with fear, not mm -hmm. malice, but fear, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, you, you just don't know. But I mean, you know, I know a couple of them who stopped killing of of civilians. And uh, they lived in fear the rest of the time. They were in Vietnam. Yeah. They were afraid they were going to get shot in the back. And it did happen. It did happen. After you talked to some people from there, it did happen. But it's scary. You know, one of my good friends' uh, dad was a sergeant in, uh, in Nam, and uh, his group actually planted a, uh, a bomb on him, and he, he discovered it. They were going to get rid of him. And... Uh, because of something he had done, and uh, and it wasn't you know he hadn't done wrong, was they just were mad at him. Uh, you just don't know what goes on in guys. I mean, you can change whole. I mean, I've never been there, but I'm sure your whole personality changes. You you know they want everything to be open to the public, but the worst thing that you can do is send media people into war zones, because. They are using their own opinions, right. kind of like they do now, as to what's going on, and they don't have the mindset of someone who is going into that war zone right. of what's really happening. Mm -hmm. And the one country I always think about could care less about human life, and that's China. Once a war starts, yep. they go in to kill people and get it over mm -hmm. with. And then, then you think about, how, you know, it's pretty special about a country that goes in and wants to uh, destroy the bad people uh, that are, and we're talking about the countries that uh, have, like a communistic country or something like that. So... Um, it's um i'm 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 just delighted and so proud to live in a country like we do well, we're that, that, that that stands out for people and tries to reach out to people no matter what uh, the protesters they they really um they don't understand what a disservice they they do to the people that live in america protesting uh, i don't understand it but you know Protesting is one thing, but when you start to get violent, that's a whole different ball game. Mm -hmm. And I don't understand. I've, I've never really understood how we can let things get so out of control that they, they can burn cars and police cars and burn buildings and and you know steal from the buildings and take stuff out. I don't know why we let that happen. Surely there are enough policemen. I mean, you know, they're talking about defunding the police. Yeah, we'd be in good shape in Nashville if they defunded the police. Yeah. Look at all the lives they saved. Yeah, what a great job they did yes. on, on this bomber. Yes, yes. And uh, it makes you wonder what could make you actually do something like that. And, you know, at least he he was had enough forethought trying not to kill people, trying not to kill people. Now, why he did it, I'll never know, and I don't know if anybody else will ever know why he did it. Yeah. But how, why would you do that? And you know, uh, millions of dollars of destruction yeah. uh, that he caused, and I, for what reason? I, I have no idea. But it, you know, but the police—they did their job, and you've got to, you know, and uh, very proud of them. And you know, you think about it. You, you mentioned a minute ago. Here's a. a professional football player or baseball or basketball player that's making 20 or 25 or 30 million a, a year so much and some of them make five and six million a year and here you've got a school teacher starting out at you know thirty four thousand dollars a year with a college education and they're probably uh, never going to top out and you get the master they may top out at sixty thousand dollars a year you know somewhere around that neighborhood mm -hmm. And it depends on what county you're in. If you're in a poor county, you may end up topping out forty or forty-five thousand a year. But here's this guy making six million dollars playing a game. Here's this man or woman who's teaching your child 
teaching their child and has a whole lot to do with what they're going to end up being. Mm -hmm. And they're only making a fraction of what this other, you know, and I get so mad when I watch commercials. Here's this guy who's making 30 or $40 million a year, mm -hmm. who's getting paid millions of dollars to advertise a shoe or a car or something else like that. Why are they paying them that much money when an ordinary person can get up and do the commercial? Yeah. And maybe that car wouldn't cost 60000 Maybe it would cost 50000 Maybe that uh, toothpaste, instead of charging three forty nine would be a dollar. You know, and, and the commercials on TV, you know, uh, that's all okay. I know it all operates on commercials. How many of them stand up for our country? Well, that's what really bothers me. Yeah. And you've got these people who are making millions of dollars. And, you know, there's some of them. They give back to the community, and they mm -hmm. and and they and they do well at it. Yeah. But there are others who don't. But a lot of them are intimidated and I, to 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 accept the things that are done. Well, I realize there are a lot more teachers than there are football, and basketball, and baseball. A lot more teachers. And Thank I realize, goodness. And I realize they're getting paid by us. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, we pay their salaries, uh, but. They're not. And, and we also pay the salaries of those sports athletes. Well, and we also pay the salaries of a congressman and senators. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a huge differential between what a policeman and a, uh, a teacher make. There's so much difference mm -hmm. that, and, you know, and some of them are on welfare. Yeah. Some of those are making, you know, they're on welfare. I know. Uh, I can name some people. Which that, ones are doing the most for their country? Well, the teacher is. Yeah, the by teacher. Far, and, by far. And the law enforcement officer and who is keeping the uh, community safe. And so, and the big difference in a teacher and a law enforcement, at least he's got a weapon on his side. You know, and I advocated, and I know there will be people would argue, there are some teachers that go in the building who should be armed who know how to use it and have been trained. And say, I'm not a m one for well, that. Well, I am because I've seen what's happened and what could have stopped it. And uh, But that's the, but that's it, the jobs the, of the school resource yes. officers, and they have done a tremendous job. But they're uh, the, 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 safest, the safest schools, uh, that, but, by far. but the training is, goes all the way through. Yeah, by far, and, the SROs. There's not another community safer than Rutherford County. Yeah, I'd say you're right because yeah. we've got SROs in every school. Yeah. And then there are these counties out here who don't, and they can't afford it uh, because, you know, a lot of them are about half broke, just to be honest with you. I think we've run out of time because well, I hear the we, music. We probably need to be, so we yeah. started arguing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we will see you in the new year, and thank you very much for uh, being our guest. See you. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.